0: The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad. It's just a show.
1: Hey there, true believers. Did you watch Avengers Infinity War and say, I like this. I like the apocalyptic world-threatening scale as well as the blue-purple toned hue of the villain. But you know what I wish? I wish they'd tried to tell this story in under three hours while at the same time introducing new heroes and villains that we had never heard about before, but about whom it was very important that we cared. Well if so, then have we got the movie for you. This is Totally Super.
0: Hi, welcome to Suit Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin.
1: And my name is Arthur.
0: And today we're reviewing the Apocalypse of the X-Men. I'm sorry, X-Men Apocalypse. This. Uh, oh, boy. Oh,
1: boy. Oh, boy. You this know what? All came right. Out so, on, yeah, I, I I just want to go right on record now because I know because this is you know how bo- sometimes with podcasts we know ahead of time whether or not a review is going to take a positive or a negative direction. I'm pretty sure I know which direction this one's going to be, so I just want to get it out of the way first. I watched it last night and actually really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would upon second viewing. That being said- That's an interesting thing to that say. That being said, and let's I'm, talk about all I'm, the things that are wrong with the film.
0: No, no, I'm going to, I'm not just going to do that. I'm going to, I will admit that I found parts of it uh, more enjoyable than I had remembered, especially the first half. And there there's a lot to talk about, but I would say that I want to save the review for the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but right. I would say that there's a there's there are things to be said about this film Uh, this film came out on May 9th 2016 uh, in London and then was released in the United States on May 27th 2016 uh, with a budget of 178 million dollars and a worldwide box office of 543.9 million dollars your general rule of thumb is that you double the budget and that is what that needs to make in box office especially if you're dealing with international you need to go a little more than that to be profitable it would have had to make 300 and i'm doing the math uh really quick 300 i think and 50 356 million dollars i guess and it made 543 so it was profitable but this is starting to show the budgets are getting bigger and bigger and the returns are not as big as they had been still enough to warrant a sequel although they took a really long time to do so and they pared things down um, written by Brian Singer, uh, Simon Kinberg, who would go on to direct Dark Phoenix, uh, Michael Doherty, but not my friend Michael Doherty, um, and Dan Harris, uh, directed by. Brian Singer, the first time that we have Brian Singer directing just the First Class. Uh, this is the sequel to X Men Days of Future Past, which is itself a sequel to X Men First Class, and it is the first movie since First Class to feature just these characters. Uh, this is supposedly taking place 20 years after x-men first class is which is something that we're going to talk about this weekend next um in the 1980s and is based on the 1990s run of x-men comic books featuring the character of apocalypse that does not uh we'll talk about the age of apocalypse and what that was really briefly coming up. But, um, that is the, those are the stats on X-Men apocalypse. Uh, what was your, when did you first see X-Men apocalypse? Cause this is now we're into X-Men movies that were clearly coming out, you know, just a couple of years ago. I did
1: not see it in the theater. That's all I remember.
0: That's all you were like, do you remember having a, an impression before you watched it? Oh yeah. No, I
1: remember that. But in terms of like the actual surroundings of it, I couldn't tell you where I was. Um, my impression of it uh was yeah it was i mean i left disappointed um the i think you you hit on something there in that the i think this is a film in which the first act the first half is fairly strong i mean the first i remember the first 30 minutes of watching the film i was pretty excited about it all it it's really in the second half that things start to fall apart
0: yeah it's um and i mean there's there's a there's a lot there's a lot to talk about uh within the film i will say that one of the things that struck me very much and i guess my thesis for this entire movie is that there are two movies that are happening here. One that I really, really like, and one that I really kind of don't. Mm -hmm. And whenever we're in the movie that I really like, I really like the movie. And this is also a movie, and I have to put it out there, and I said this when the movie came out, I think I said this on Trek Off, that this is a movie that is giving me everything that I ever wanted in an X-Men movie. Even more so, I would say, than Days of Future Past. And I'll talk about why that is. And sometimes you realize that what you wanted was not what you needed and that mm. maybe you wanted the wrong things. Mm. So tons, tons to talk about. I remember I saw this in the theater. Um, I saw this with um, your your friend in mind, Daniel Mascarello, uh, because we were already at a point now when I had kids and my kids were not old enough to go see it. So I just mm. went uh, with uh, with another father um and then when it finally came out on on VOD I watched it with my with my wife with Mrs. J and she said um that I don't, I don't even know if she made it all the way through I think that she had a huge problem with the villain and that's that's something to talk about let's just kind of jump right in okay. um what do you th- what do you think of and we'll get into oh actually I uh, We haven't even done the plot So before you do the plot um, And I, I, I'm sorry that I didn't do that yet I do want to ask What did you think specifically Of the look of Apocalypse Because before uh, we even get into I, And the reason I'm asking this before the plot Is because mm-hmm. images of Apocalypse Were released via the internet Prior to the movie And I think the soiling On this movie Which soils itself well um, is started prior to the film coming out as people saw what Apocalypse was going to look like and were like, eh, your thoughts.
1: Yeah, um, I, I'm, first I'll say I'm very curious to know what, uh, what Mrs. J, um, uh, what she didn't like about the villain. The, uh, yeah, the look, it didn't really do much for me. I mean, it didn't, it didn't actively turn me off. Uh, you know, it's, if I think on it, it's, he looked like a really high budget version, like a really high budget version of a Doctor Who alien, um the uh so yeah it's one I, it's, I can i can absolutely see the ambiguity of it um i remember i mean and again i'll be honest the uh when i saw pictures of thanos when those things were first released uh before the film i was seriously wary of that as well um and then you know once the once the film started uh You know, I actually quite liked the design, although I'm sure a lot of that is because of what uh, Josh Brolin brought to it. Um, Whoever this was that whoever it was that played Apocalypse, um, he turned in the the very predictable Uber, you know, you know, Uber powerful. Let's let's let's
0: not call him whoever it is. Let's call it him Oscar Isaac, Poe Dameron himself. Oh,
1: wait, really? Yep. That's interesting. It is, because okay. he's a really good actor. Because he's a really good actor. See, I would have expected X Machina, a little See Ex Machina. If you
0: want to see him do an amazing job, watch Ex Machina. He's astounding. Oh, he's so good in that.
1: Yeah. Um, um, yeah well wow that's uh, interesting so i mean i feel like I I, I I feel like the design um i don't know how much of uh, the character was cgi and how much of it was uh was uh real world but i do feel like the the costume design sort of forced him into a bit of a stiff uh into a stiff portrayal which if that is the- a real world costume would be one of the few instances in which one of the very few instances i in which i would have said Oh wow, I guess the CG version actually freed up the actor to do more.
0: Well, I I will take it a step further. The 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 comparison that was made was Power Rangers. That's what everybody was saying when he first the images started oh, coming yeah. out. Oh yeah,
1: I could absolutely see that. Yeah.
0: And prior to the movie coming out, that's the first thing you saw was an image of what apocalypse was going to look like and everybody was like, "Oh no." Oh no. And they they were like, "No, no, 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 you're not." It's like when the first images of the Genie and the new Aladdin came out, when mm-hmm. people are like, no, my gosh, this is bad, and they were like, no, when you see it in context, it'll be good. Uh by the way, a s- tiny review for the new Aladdin, I liked it, and the genie fine. It. So they yeah. they they were they were right in that in that case that the genie was better. In this case, the context didn't really help. Apocalypse, it is mm-hmm. it is such a poor design that it immediately it's it's a this is something that happens in movies for me, and I I understand. W- You like to go into movies spoiler free. Um, Mm -hmm. That's something you said before. I knew nothing about what
1: apocalypse looked like really before I started the movie.
0: Yeah, if you can. and, And I like going in knowing where to set my expectations because often if I lower my expectations, especially if I am told to lower my expectations, I can often... Enjoy a film and next week will be an example of lowering my expectations and not having the negative experience that other people had. So Mm -hmm. and I do kind of enjoy and I've talked about this too. the way that other people like sports, you know, you like if, if you can compare this to sports, this would be like you like to watch the game. And not know who's playing before the game starts. You just want to kind of see what happens with the game. And I want to, you know, spend all my time collecting the trading cards and learning the stats. Not that trading cards are a thing anymore, but you get what I'm saying.
1: I I think that's a fairly apt metaphor. The only slight tweak I'd give to that one is I like learning about the players before the game, too. I like knowing who's acting in the film because there's certain players slash actors that I like to follow. What I don't like watching is sports games where they've shown me everything that happens, uh, you know, in the second quarter already.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. In this case, this is one of those times where my theory does not work and your theory would prevail in that <laughs> I was in. I think in, if I had not seen Apocalypse beforehand, if I had not already, there's a certain amount of arm crossing that happens when mm. you keep getting bad buzz about a movie. Where by the time the movie started I was like okay here we go and had I not seen the images first and of course read the response which was vehemently negative before the movie comes out um, I would have maybe been more accepting but as it was. I already had like I already had decided I hated the way Apocalypse looked. I don't know what I would have thought otherwise, but um, mm-hmm. he's kind of a dumb looking character in the comic books, too. I got to give it that like he's not. I never liked Apocalypse in the character. It's not a comics. great. design. I, no, was, even
1: his initial design is not great. Like I just I mean, didn't he, he, he always it. seemed like sort of a he always seemed like sort of a knockoff dark side, which he did, didn't like, he? To be to be honest, also was not the best design in the world. So,
0: yeah, it's it's he wasn't great. Um, I'll talk real quick about the character. Um, and specifically his most famous run, which was the Age of Apocalypse. There is a... Um, there was a run, one of the coolest things that ever happened in the X-Men universe, I thought, was Apocalypse decided... Or, or rather, um, a totally different character, not Apocalypse, uh, but a character named Legion, who, is based, who now has his own TV show, um, who is Charles Xavier's son, uh, goes back in time, uses his powers to go back in time, and... And it's either Legion or Proteus. I can't decide which one is, but it's either one of the two. Goes back in time and kills Professor Xavier before the X Men are ever formed. And they have the coolest example of the destruction of a timeline that I ever saw. In that, it takes a moment before it takes a moment before the effects happen. So the people mm-hmm. are trying to stop him from going back in time, and then he goes back in time, and they know it. And they're like, something's coming. There's an, al- there's an anomaly. Look into space. And the entire universe is turning to glass. And then they see it coming. And they, like, hold each other. And like, oh, I hope we're going to be all right. And they hold each other. Oh, I miss you. You know, like, like seeing the mm. atomic blast coming for you. And then they turn into glass. And in the last frame of the comic book, they shatter. Ooh. And then for the next, like, half a year, all of the X-Men comics were canceled and they all had new names. If you had a subscription, you would have new names for these comics. And they were, you know, I don't, I, I think, I think, I don't know if there was astonishing X-Men. There was, you know, the incredible X-Men, like, like descriptors of the X-Men that never had come, Wolverine became Weapon X. Everything got a different name. And you mm-hmm. were suddenly thrust in the middle of a story Into this alternate universe where because Xavier never formed the X-Men, Apocalypse never was stopped. Apocalypse wasn't even originally part of this story. And because Apocalypse was never stopped, the Apocalypse had won and taken over the entire world. And you are now in what they called the Age of Apocalypse. Mm. And it's for like half a year, every X-Men comic became these characters reimagined in this alternate, what would have happened had apocalypse not been stopped and eventually like, no, we got to go back in time. And if we go back in time and stop it, everything's, which is sort of what happened with days of future past. So there, there are elements of the age of apocalypse in that, but I'm trying to think of, it's really, it's really back to the future too is where you are like the, mm-hmm. the event happened yeah. and they go, the only way to fix this is to go back in time and stop it from ever happening. Um, but very, very cool thing that they did that I had never heard of before, and that's right before I checked out of comics. I checked out of comics almost immediately after this. Um, but mm-hmm. it was a very, very cool thing. Um, much cooler than the movie they would get. It would have been cool if that's what they did with this movie. But I guess they couldn't because this is what they did with the last
1: movie. They could have, de- yeah, <laughs> that's true. Those two storylines do have some strong similarities to it.
0: Did you read that? Have you like uh, you know I, that's into one I've of-
1: never actually. That's one I haven't delved into. Um, I guess the the only other time that they've done that, they did something that bold with the most recent Secret Wars, where they pretty much destroyed every multiverse. And for, gosh, maybe six months to a year, just about every comic was Battle World, which was this world with a whole bunch of domains that were all run by God, Emperor, Doom, uh, you know, and it oh, took that's a cool. while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, and those are all of them. Each individual story. It's like if Marvel did nothing but what ifs for a year. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, and yeah, every single one of those is great. Um, and then you know, they there was a reset, and then they just sort of went back in. Uh, well, if you get a yeah, chance
0: no, to go back on the on the Marvel app, the great thing about Age of Apocalypse is it's self contained story. There, you don't need to catch up to it. You can just start just just know this is how that happened that that mm-hmm. Xavier was killed what would have ha- it's a big what if what would have happened if Xavier was killed early and then you've got you know 60 issues of something to read and then it ends the story comes to an end because it goes back mm-hmm. into the timeline that you were in um, it's a very cool little pocket universe that was created but what happens in this Apocalypse of the X-Men, Arthur.
1: Alright, the plot of X-Men Apocalypse. We start in ancient Egypt, where an all-powerful god-being is being worshipped. He enters a pyramid to undergo some kind of transformation to make himself even more all-powerful, but is betrayed by a plucky band of ancient Egypt freedom fighters who bury him beneath the sands for all eternity. Presumably. Flash forward to the 80s, and we check in on how our mutant friends from previous movies are doing. Mystique has become something of a reluctant hero to the mutant community after the events of Days of Future Past, but spends her time working solo, finding mutants in trouble around the world and freeing them. Charles Xavier and Hank McCoy are back at their Westchester home, except now it's become Xavier's school for the gifted, where mutants can learn in safety. We meet a few new new, mutants, we meet a few new mutants, including Alex Summers' brother Scott, someday to be Cyclops, and Gene Gray, someday to be an omnipotent destroyer of worlds, but that's for another film. As for our old friend Eric Lenscher, a.k.a. Magneto, things are not so good. A fugitive from justice, he's living in Russia under a false identity, but has married and has a beautiful daughter with apparent powers of her own. But after he is outed to the local police, they try to apprehend him and, using the rare story convention known in film lingo as the Double Fridge, kill both his wife and daughter with one arrow, driving Eric into a despairing murderous rage. Meanwhile, Moira McTaggart, CIA, has been investigating a cult that worships a long-forgotten Omni mutant. In her investigations, she accidentally awakens, said Omni-Mutant, who, according to histories, has been the bringer of many apocalypses. Or Apocalypse-I. We're just going to call him Apocalypse. He finds four strong mutants to make his four proverbial horsemen. Angel, the cage-frighting twin brother to Billy from Stranger Things. Storm, in her young street rat thief form. Psylocke, who's, I don't know, just kind of mad at stuff and Magneto himself, who, to be fair, really does have a certain bone to pick with the world at that point. Apocalypse amplifies their powers, making them all super strong, except mostly Magneto, who now uses his ability to connect with the Earth's magnetic field to level Auschwitz. Xavier and McTaggart join forces to investigate this supposed new threat, as Mystique returns to the mansion of her childhood to enlist help in finding Eric. When Charles uses Cerebro to find Eric, though, it attracts the attention of Apocalypse, who connects with Charles's mind and uses telepathy to mind control the military of every major superpower into destroying their nuclear weapons so points for apocalypse i guess they then teleport in and kidnap charles alex summers tries to stop them with one of his chaos blasts but instead blasts the power core of the sr-71 in the basketball court setting off an explosion that will level the mansion thankfully spunky young speedster quicksilver arrives in the nick of time and in a slow-motion sequence that follows the film philosophy, hey, if they liked something you did in the previous movie, do it again, except this time for twice as long, he rescues every single person in the mansion from the explosion. Except Alex, though. Alex is dead. Suddenly, the students hear a helicopter, which flies in out of both a literal and metaphorical left field. Out pops Colonel Stryker, who kidnaps the main characters and takes them to his mutant experimentation base. Gene, Scott, and Nightcrawler... Oh yeah, Nightcrawler's in this. They sneak aboard the chopper as well. (laughs) (laughs) What follows is a breakout of mutant experiment jail sequence, during which the students free Mystique, Beast, Quicksilver, Moira, and Wolverine. Oh yeah, Wolverine's in this too for a little bit, I guess. After getting a telepathic message from Charles, Gene and the team fly to Cairo for their final showdown. Apocalypse intends to transfer his consciousness into Charles so that he can use Xavier's abilities to be in everybody's mind all the time. He also encourages Magneto to use his uber-magnet powers to destroy pretty much every building on the planet. The final showdown takes place, during which Mystique and Quicksilver convince Eric to turn good again. Xavier and Apocalypse engage in an epic mind battle. While the others fight Apocalypse's horsemen. Apocalypse is so powerful, though, that all seems lost until Xavier encourages Jean to embrace the insane amount of power that she's been fearing inside herself for the whole film. Okay, really for only that one scene, but it was a freaky dream scene, so that counts. Jean then unleashes the Phoenix Ex Machina and obliterates Apocalypse, who dies with the foreboding phrase, All is revealed. We enter the denouement. Back at the mansion, Eric and Xavier catch up on old times and have another debate about whether the human race is worth hoping for. They part on good terms. One of the other horsemen, Storm, has decided that she wants to be like her role model mystique and be more of the hero type angel died in the battle but psylocke escaped throwing copious hateful looks back at the good guys which i guess should be meaningful but i mean honestly did she even have enough dialogue in this for the actress to be paid on the five lines and above scale and final scene we're in the danger room oh yay danger room i always like that As Mystique, the new quarterback of Team X-Men, leads the new team against a fearsome bunch of training sentinels, the X-Door closes on Xavier, watching them. Fiend.
0: Okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, Let's break this up. Two movies, Mm X-Men and and Apocalypse. Those are the two movies Mm -hmm. that we have here. It should be X-Men slash Apocalypse because one of these movies I'm kind of digging... And the other one, I'm not digging so much. And you can guess that the X-Men movie is the one that I'm kind of digging. I'm into it a little bit. And the yeah. Apocalypse movie, kind of not.
1: And now, here's a question. the, the mag, In yeah. the Magneto storyline, is that part of the X-Men film or part of the Apocalypse film?
0: That's a great question. I think it starts in the X-Men film and then becomes, oh, but really, he doesn't join the X-Men. So, like, I, if this I were the X-Men like film-
1: it's all- I mean, I'll be honest, I, the, both times, the Magneto the Magneto storyline did not do it for me. Um, I think they, they. I mean, just from the very beginning of it, um, I know they were looking for somewhat, I mean, really, it seemed like we need some way to drive Magneto into such, a, into such a place that he decides it's okay to join with Apocalypse. So, and so they, I so mean, it, here's, it seemed will the,
0: fir- the first half of the Magneto story, I'm kind of into. Um, you know, there's a reason they do fridging. Fridging works. It's just that it's it's terrible to do, but it does get you emotionally worked up. Mm -hmm. And I did find myself, you know, I, I did find myself largely carried on the on the mighty weight of of the considerable shoulders of Michael Fassbender's acting.
1: Yes, mad Which props is, to him for 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 fully diving into the emotional. I mean, it I mean, it was melodrama. The like the storyline itself was melodrama and he dove into that with 100% acceptance, no commentary. Like he did a phenomenal job.
0: So, here's here's what I would say. Um uh, the how how do I explain this? The X-Men film is grounded In the world of the X-Men and the apocalypse film is grounded in the world of apocalypse. And so I would say that when Magneto is in Russia doing your real person stuff that then the mutant stuff gets in the way of the real person stuff that is the X-Men film. That's what the X-Men film have Mm -hmm. always been. People want to live their lives but being a mutant is hard and that's what it's always been. Look at the first X-Men film. That's what it was about. It's regular people trying to live their lives but because of the world that hates and fears them and also the power that begets certain responsibilities they are not able to live their lives and isn't that hard and that's what the Mm -hmm. first two x-men are largely about so he's clearly rooted in that in the first half of the film the apocalypse film is about standing in front of green screens with your hands out as we go look at this Um, Mm -hmm. when we get to that, I am not into his story at all because I, does he have one at
1: that point? He's like... Uh, he is not as fully he he is not as flat and uninteresting a villain as i've seen in a lot of other films like the um i did kind of like that they played into the megalomania of it um and that his language reflected that um like the whole thing with him uh you know as he's destroying the nuclear missiles and he says you can sh- you can shoot your arrows from the tower of babel but you cannot harm god uh, I mean, that is about as, you know, take your dialogue to 11 as you can. Uh, but it, yeah, it but was that guy would
0: not work under another larger dude. You know, like, like I am God, except for this guy, this guy, is well, you know, but, 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 but apocalypse, apocalypse, but
1: that's the, that's the thing. Apocalypse was like, he was the one saying that. So oh, was it him? He, yeah, 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 that was him. I guess, yeah. What yeah, so I, he was, I guess
0: what I'm saying is specific is specifically if, as we, as we deal with Magneto, um, and ah, I guess I see. you know we'll hit character by character so we're dealing with Magneto I just feel like okay he, sorry he, I misunderstood yeah I, I feel like like he gets he is incredibly motivated to do everything he does up to the point that he joins apocalypse and then really he, he is basically used to destroy stuff and then change his mind at the
1: end. Yeah, and you get the sense kind of that he's it. It, like it's sort of he's in such a state of despair that he's like sure whatever nothing matters I guess I'll do this.
0: Yeah, it's it's which is sort of what I guess the filmmakers did. Um, okay, <laughs> Damn. So let's start with Magneto and and Xavier. Specifically Magneto. This is a problem. I'm going to have with this film, and I'm going to have an even larger problem with this next film. We are set in the 80s. Magneto is seen as a 12 year old boy in 1944, which means that he was born in 1936. This being, uh, this movie comes out in 19, this is, uh, in 1983, which means that he is pushing 50. He clearly does not look like he's, he's clearly, he's, he's not exactly 15 years
1: away from Ian McKellen.
0: Yes. Um, it, by the next film, which takes place in the nineties, um, there's no way that he is. I mean, Mm -hmm. so we, I can tell you that this film is taking place during the summer of 1983 because they step out of return of the Jedi. Um, that aspect I liked. I could have dealt with it a little more, but they didn't know how to do this yet. And I do want to give the film props to this. This is still something that they were learning to do in the world of superheroes is is using superhero films to make you nostalgic for things. They had done a little bit with Guardians, but they're really like when you get to Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel is a 90s film. It's about the 90s. Um, Mm -hmm. I could have really dug more 80s to this film. I didn't get a like there's yeah, more there there, I that, mean I didn't get a real... Yeah,
1: Jubilee movie. was pretty much the most 80s thing about it.
0: Yeah. Um uh I would have really loved to see a a, a truly 80s like cuz that I feel like First Class was truly a 60s film. It yeah, felt you're like absolutely a 60s right. film.
1: And and uh and Days of Future Past was a 70s film. It had that very sort of Cold War uh Three Days of the Condor kind of espionage spy, you know, p- politic political feel to it.
0: When I say that this film gives me everything that I wanted, let me tell you exactly what I mean by that. There is a... With the exception of Kitty Pride she's the only one missing in this film. There is a team of X-Men that I know... Um, when you used to buy X-Men comic books in the upper left-hand corner of the comic on the front page right above the the issue number would be little like a little roster picture of the faces of the people in the comic. And the X-Men team that means the most to me, and this is not the X-Men team I started with, but the one that means the most to me is Storm, Cyclops, Wolverine, Colossus, uh, Kitty Pride. And Nightcrawler. And I'm trying to think who else. I think Rachel Summers eventually is in there, too. Yeah, but they that were. I mean, they were really the
1: ones who were a lot of them were the ones introduced by Claremont, if I remember. Yeah. And yeah. Those, are, those are Psychops, to me, they're kind of the icon. if I had to choose one iconic team, that would probably be the closest one.
0: Yeah. Seeing, Psych- seeing Nightcrawler in here, you know, being Nightcrawler was was neat and seeing his origin played out on screen. I guess sort of for the second time seeing mm-hmm. Cyclops's origin playing out on screen again. We also saw it just really recently in, in X-Men origins Wolverine, but okay, whatever. Um, seeing Cyclops meet Jean for the first time. This is all stuff I want to see. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is kind of cool stuff. Um, watching Beast as a professor like this is all I'm loving that stuff I am I'm getting very much what I want out of that and I'm I'm enjoying Ty Sheridan as 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 Cyclops a little less so of for Sophie Turner is is and we'll talk we'll go character by character but we're I'm getting the X-Men movie that I would want to see that Mm. I'm seeing my Claremont X-Men and they're all here and it's all kind of neat Um, And I'm seeing the things I remember from the comic books played out for in front of me. And this is, this is good. This is what I would want out of an X-Men film. What is your thought about this, the the school-centric X-Men story? What is I mean, the story and also the presentation of the same?
1: Well, to me, to me um, I think a school-centric X-Men story is always the best way to tell an X-Men story. It's like, you know, Buffy was always at its best when they were in high school. Um, there is, like, the school for the gifted is as much a character to me in the X-Men saga as all the others are. Um, which is interesting. Which is, to me, I think the the point where the movie started going downhill was when the mansion was blown up. Um, I I liked that we were seeing young Scott and young Jean. I especially on second viewing. My biggest issue with it is, um, and I think this was just a, this was a, a plot failure, a storytelling uh, mistake. Uh, let me ask you, okay, in the final battle, which character is the person who is most responsible for... Which character makes a discovery that then allows them to defeat the major opposing force?
0: I guess that Xavier, Xavier makes a choice to unleash gene but even I yeah guess.
1: I, I that's that's certainly a that is certainly a valid take um you know gene they all work to, the, they, ch- they all
0: decide to if if you count the it, team as a character they all decide to function as a team including Magneto.
1: yes however I none of them would however it's the it's the problem with, with the return of the king and the you know and the sudden overwhelming horde of ghost fighters um, the, all of the characters, well, okay, so this is another problem, all the characters fighting as one would have had, still would have lost, it was clear, until Jean unleashes the Phoenix Force, and when Jean unleashes the Phoenix Force, it is also clear that, had she unleashed the Phoenix Force at the beginning of the battle, literally no one else would have been necessary, because it's it was such an all-powerful, overwhelming uh, power. Um. So that's that. Yet, I mean, and, and so and that's mis- her on
0: un- her her unleashing of the Phoenix forces is in no way earned. I see what you're saying.
1: Yes. So is, and so that's the main thing. Is so. Okay. So we think so. Of all the new mutants that we meet, like Jean, ends up being the most important. Um. In term, not just in terms of oh she beats the bad guy, but she actually does go through a little bit of an arc. She starts the movie being afraid of her powers, and then it ends the movie having embraced them. Um. But Jean is not the first mutant that we meet. Jean is not not the mutant that we spend 10 minutes watching having their first change and their first discovery um, it's Scott that we meet and don't get me wrong I kind of like Scott's arc but Scott's arc is not central to the overarching storyline of this I feel like well, this is movie this a would problem have done I, like, you- I, I feel like this movie would have done better if it had focused more on Jean because if she, look if you're going to make somebody the big savior at the end of the film then we'd better really see them early on uh, before that point we just sort of met uh- Jean and made arrests here. I guess the question then becomes who is the protagonist of this film? And that's a really, I, I asked the exact same question, and that is a very difficult question to answer. And because that you, might you be would one of the think it's problems.
0: Xavier, but he's, Xavier's sort of aloof and he's sidelined for the entire second half of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's Mystique, but as a facet of her power, she's not, um, she's not really capable in the battle and, and she doesn't really bring them together. And, and frankly, I think Jennifer Lawrence is really starting to phone it in now. Mm-hmm. um maybe it's scott it's certainly not gene i mean you're, you're not in her pov ever yeah i mean it's uh, it's
1: like with first class i you can make a very strong case that the uh that the protagonist is xavier um yeah.
0: or or it's a, or it's a dual protagonist or it's of, a dual of, protagonist of xavier yeah, be yeah. con- contrasting um, them
1: but but it, but there are strong things leaning in that direction in first class uh you can make a strong case that the protagonist is wolverine in it you mean days um, future past Yes, Days of Future Past. Yeah, yeah. yeah. um, in this one, uh, I don't know. Uh, um, yeah, like you no. could make and a case for like six different people being the protagonist, and that in itself. Who's the l- protagonist
0: of Avengers Endgame, though?
1: I think that. Not, and I think that's a good question. However. <laughs> Avengers Endgame? I mean, if if we look at the whole Infinity War saga, that was a 6-hour saga. So Avengers, you know, the the Infinity War saga was practically a mini series. And when you have a mini series, you have the time to explore multiple protagonists and characters and d- you have the that's time fair. to fully yeah, flesh if, out it, multiple arcs. I no, mean, it's very And like, that's
0: that's that's very fair. If you go, if you go there are three protagonists, you know, being, you know, Thanos, Th- Thanos Captain America and Iron Man, and then the worlds that they inhabit are are starting to collide into each other. Um, so eventually, because those, those are the three that that at the end, everyone else is important, but those are the three that are that are main. You know, mm-hmm. that's three three two hour movies would be six hours, and then by the end, you see them all together and. Everybody else has also had their own two hour movie as a backstory. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, like so- that's the thing
1: they put in the, t- like the Marvel universe really put in the time uh, on each of the characters for the most part.
0: Well, and they- that's an interesting thing. This movie takes such pains to introduce a bunch of new characters And yet I can't imagine anybody starting with this movie because there's so much of the movie that it just expects you to know and care about already. It so
1: relies on you knowing already, yeah.
0: And yet it doesn't bring forth any emotional heft from prior movies with the exception of Moira that she's the only one where you like you're carrying over an emotion from another movie into this movie mm-hmm. so this yeah, you, is, could, this you could make like,
1: a case for magnet you could make a case for magneto bringing some emotional heft there too but yeah
0: but I think but I don't think you need the emotional heft. To, like the fact that he was in Auschwitz doesn't matter because he loses his wife and daughter and that's enough for you to carry emotional heft in this film
1: like he doesn't know mm. oh, I, carry I we, forward emotional yeah, the, heft. the emotional heft that was introduced in this film would have been enough that makes perfect sense
0: yeah it's like it's like the Avengers endgame if the avengers movies beforehand was like star trek the next generation where you could you you have to know who the characters are but you don't have to know anything that happened to them before Mm -hmm. um it's 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 really uh it's the problem anyway i just want to say that the x-men movie that we're presented with is one that i that i like i mean watching cyclops in school yes we saw pretty much the same scene in superman returns where Mm -hmm. clark kent is in school and he's getting taunted by bullies and his powers go out of control and then you know he's they go crazy and and things happen from there. It's worth noting that that movie was written and directed by Brian Singer. Oh yeah. So I guess I guess Brian Singer had some issues in high school. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean um, I loved the uh, yeah I think you're yeah that scene in the school. I loved the scene when he first. You know, when Charles is like, no, no, it's okay. Go ahead. And then, you know, he unleashes that massive blast that destroys the tree. And Charles has this 30 second monologue about, you know, I think my grandfather planted that tree and it's grown all this. I think that was my favorite tree. And then turning around and being just like, that was amazing. That was like, that was, you know, that, that was fantastic X-Men. That was a fantastic X-Men moment to me. Um, So,
0: so let's talk about the apocalypse movie because you say it falls apart at the end. And I want to say right away, the movie starts starts in ancient Cairo with a badly rendered Xbox 360 cutscene showing us not great CGI versions of Egypt and this is a 200 million dollar movie that came out four years ago this is not like we don't need to forgive the CGI anymore it's badly done effects that don't place me in the world and it's so sprawling my very first thought is this does not belong in an x-men movie and i am i am stunned by how much i dislike the opening scene of the film as a beginning to the film i just feel like that it everything comes from that and as a if you want to mark the place where the x-men falls apart this the franchise falls apart Here's a great example. If you were to just watch the X-Men films in order of release, you get to this and it starts with boom, ancient Egypt, badly, badly done effects and unlearning everything you ever learned about X-Men and mutants. Go ahead.
1: What are your thoughts? I think that, I think that's an interesting observation. I mean, I can't comment on the CGI. You've got a much more developed eye for special effects than I do. Um I mean, I'll I'll sometimes have a vague idea of, "Oh, this looks good or this doesn't look good," but I I I can't give any kind of expert commentary on that. The uh but there's I there's something in what you're saying about the scale of it. Ancient Egypt is a pretty freaking grand scale. Probably the you know, the next step up from that would be going galactic. Um and as far as superhero groups go, Avengers tends to work very well on a massive scale. Like a I mean, this is the thing is this is the biggest scale that X-Men and X Men films really been on. I mean yes the world was sort of threatened in different ways in the past too but to be fighting a you know to be fighting a godlike being with intent on completely cleansing the earth uh, that's that's taking things up a notch and it sort of occurs to me that a lot of my favorite X-Men stories including my film including the films are the ones that sort of work at a middle scale you know X2 being a great example of that yes there was a massive threat um, but it w- but but every Everything just seemed a little bit more confined. Um, You used the word sprawling. Uh, I think that was a good, uh, a good descriptor. Avengers can handle sprawling. I don't know if X-Men does well.
0: I think that X-Men can handle sprawling, but there are so, okay. I, again, comparing it to infinity war, infinity war starts in an incredibly exotic location being space on an asteroid Mm -hmm. and a big giant, super powerful bluish, bluish purplish character comes out and battles and, and you see how tough they are. And that's the opening of the film. That's the teaser of the film Mm -hmm. that happens here too. Here's the difference in Avengers infinity war spoilers for, for a movie from a year and a half ago. He, you see that Heimdall has been already defeated. He fights, thor he fights the hulk he fights characters you care about he kills loki he does stuff from moment one that you are caring about he's doing things that you care about to people that you care about so even if you had not had any of the lead up to thanos what he's doing you immediately care about Mm. this is a sprawling thing you've never seen from the x-men before even the yellow color palette is a—it's a look you've never seen. From it doesn't look or fe- it, frankly, it feels like like the Scorpion King movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you feel like you're. And again, the CGI looks like Scorpion King too. It's it's you know it's ten years behind. It doesn't look good. The the it just looks different than the X Men. You're watching a character you don't know or care about do stuff to characters that you don't care about. You know he's going to win because he's Apocalypse and the movie's called Apocalypse there's no tension you just see that he's big and bad and tough and there's no stakes and the entire thing seems to go he was tough and he got buried we're just letting you know I think and I, I think immediately uh, I'm like I think you've I hit care. on
1: a, a really you've hit on a really great storytelling concept there the this the scene this opening scene is it exists for explication it exists to to show us there was this super powerful being that was worshipped and he got buried beneath the sands. Um, there are a lot of movies that um, that have to provide explication about super powerful beings. I mean that's a pretty common scene that we're going to see in a lot of superhero films. Um, but I think you really hit on and, and doing that scene um is not necessarily bad. You can do that scene well or poorly. But I think you hit on uh, a a way of really doing like an advanced version of that scene. Is exactly what they did in Infinity War. Is can you show? Can you you know provide the explication of how powerful this villain is in a way that the audience immediately cares about? That it doesn't happen in a vacuum from uh, all the other characters that they've grown to to understand. Um, and you know, and that is certainly an area where Infinity War succeeds. Uh, you know, whereas well, this is the
0: just, reason. The reason the it has no weight to it is because it doesn't affect anything that happens later in the film other than the fact that he's buried I mean think about it a great example of this same scene is Scream in Scream you open with a character that you're never going to see again who you've never Mm. met before facing a bad guy who's the only person who leaves that scene alive is the bad guy
1: But man, do they make you care about that victim?
0: You cared about the character. You cared about what's happening to her. You are horrified that it happens to her. And the events of that scene are spoken about throughout the film. It changes the whole world. That that happened, but him getting Mm -hmm. buried and stuck for all that time. You don't, you don't care about what happens to any of the good guys. You never see the good guys in that scene. Again, you just assume that they're, they're the good guys because you know, he's apocalypse. You don't see him do anything bad prior Mm -hmm. to that. He just is, you know, there there seems to be a willing participant that he's switching bodies with. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think if you took that scene and you made it from the point of view of of the person who's getting sacrificed and these people are, you know, one of them is the like the husband or the the, the husband or wife of the the person who's going to be sacrificed. And they're trying desperately to mount a rescue because they love them and they care for them so much. You know what I mean? There's a way to make Mm -hmm. that scene have... So, but the good guys are trying to stop him because they're good guys and don't want him to get more powerful. And he wants to be more powerful because he wants to be more powerful. So, why do we care? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, no, that's, and I, and I think that you get to a point where you go, he is, you know, in, in a film series that has dealt so well with the motivations of the bad guys. You know, Magneto is powerfully motivated. Even, you know, Bolivar Trask in the last film is powerfully mm-hmm. motivated. Yeah. The, uh, the even even the characters like the Sentinels or like the Borg and Star Trek, their lack of motivation is a powerful motivation, if that makes any sense. Yes. It makes them scary in that they are doing it because it is all they do. Mm-hmm. But having a character who's doing all this stuff because, you know, he kind of wants to mm-hmm. is I just want to be more powerful it's so uninteresting and it's, it's makes that section. So every time they cut to Cairo there, you have apocalypse, you're in a character that I don't care about. Who's doing things just cause it's not that I don't know why I know why he just kind of wants to in a, a place that looks totally different than the rest of the X-Men films with uh, the, with, you know, these characters that I like only because I like them in the comics and then Xavier lying on the ground and Magneto kind of standing on a hill in mm-hmm. front of a clearly a green screen by the way yeah. um, which it lacks you know if you're not able to do the green screen thing really really well don't do it because one of the things that's so great that makes me like the X-Men movie is you go back to the school and the set is so awesome and it's so tactile and you feel like you're there and especially at the end you cut to you know what happens at the end and, and it, I'm just not I'm not feeling mm-hmm. that section of the movie it feels so distant from what's happening in this there's it's a, it's a real problem the 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 two movies that
1: were You've got about. me thinking more on the uh you know in terms of the scale of things the you know and because this 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 was an X-Men this clearly felt like an X-Men film that was like kind of trying to be an Avengers film um in the sense that the Avengers films are all about dealing with external threats it is the best of it is the quote unquote best of humanity dealing with space aliens or you know like an uber robot or you know something that is very clearly not human um and that and the avengers storylines tend to do very well there um the x-men is always about um essentially people dealing with bad aspects of humanity it is a much more the the struggle the really interesting struggles in x-men are much more internal quote-unquote to our species um They are, there is, they are struggles, they are plots that require a certain amount of introspection on all of our parts about examining our own motivations and, you know, and prejudices. And it is hard to take a, to take a storyline and to take a a group of superheroes that are built around that really interesting, deep interpersonal probing of motivation and then suddenly say, and now you're going to fight for all intents and purposes an ancient space monster.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't it, it's it is not what you know, we've talked. It's a term I've used on uh, on the show before that I took from an old show I used to listen to. But it's the, the term primary value. Why do you go see an X-Men movie? Certainly to see mutants do mutanty superhero stuff is part of the reason. But why an X-Men movie? There's so many options for that now. Mm-hmm. And the prime one of the primary values of the X-Men movie is the the let's talk about how humanity deals with people who are different.
1: Yeah. Um And they had a part couple of the thing. Like the and don't get me wrong, there were a couple decent aspects of that in this film. The I really man did it uh did it ring very close to home when uh i think mystique said you know when charles was uh let me let me just say in this film i i will say i identify i Charles in these past three films, I identify very much with in that he has a moral value set that is very similar to mine. Sort of the um, you know I call you can call it the Mister Rogers you know no we need to love and continuously hope and all those things and that is still something that one hundred percent I still subscribe to. Um, But they did a very good job in X Men First Class of saying it's like well yes your privilege afforded you the benefit to develop that philosophy um, without really experiencing what the world can do to somebody and over the past you know and over the course of the three uh movies you see him gradually realizing how bad the world can be but then continually struggling and still continually coming back to nope i'm still going to believe this um so watching uh, i
0: i certainly i certainly hope that they never make an x-men film that totally takes a big giant dump over everything that you just said about charles xavier
1: oh spoilers spoilers i haven't seen it yet spoilers um (laughs) The uh, so, um, oh shoot, it completely ruined my train of thought. Uh, I'm so sorry, I, like that I do tr- that. Oh no, that I'm that's really all right. Uh, so so there was a scene in that when uh, there's a wonderful scene in which he, he kind of sort of reverts to his slightly naive privileged self in this one where he's like, well, no, but ten years ago, you know, we showed the world that mutants are okay and everything's fine now. And Mystique was like, no, everything is not fine now. You don't have people coming out and saying they're that they hate mutants. They they talk nice to us. But that doesn't change how they feel underneath. And to me, I thought that that is a really, um, that is a very accurate description of 21st century racism and misogyny. There are very few, uh, and and, and blessedly so, there are very few cultures or tribes in our country where somebody flat out, you know, dropping the N word or uh or just flatting out coming coming out and saying, "Oh, men are clearly superior to women," uh, that that is met with scorn and shame practically universally Um, what is not met with scorn and shame is sort of the code speak the you know, we can talk and think about urban youth as opposed to black youth. We can, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, we can give lip service to equality in the workplace, but men still talk over women 75% of the time, that sort of thing. It's all of the prejudice is lurking below the surface. Uh, and I, I really appreciated the fact that they sort of called that out in this film in that moment. That being said, I can't really tell you if there was any other instance in the film where they really fully explored that because they were too busy trying... To Trying to deal with the epic god space monster. Yeah, and
0: I think that that's that's the problem. I think that that this is a story that maybe fundamentally should not have been told. There are enough other good X Men stories that maybe, or maybe they could have eventually led to this. Or like I feel like having the threat be so external. Um, especially in a in a film series that is dealt so strongly with theme, I think undermines mm-hmm. what what you're describing. And 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 you end up with you know the you know the crazy ancient space monster who makes and you know, he's not from space, but like
1: he sure feels that way.
0: And like, and what does he want to do? I mean that's the thing. He I mean he's Superman 4's the 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 spoiler alert for Superman Four before we do it, um he he, he gets rid of all the nukes and Then he wants to tear down the buildings and if he tears down the buildings then the strong will survive which will be the mute I don't know yeah well and especially just
1: like when he started it's like if if your goal is a massive you know holocaust purging of the planet then don't destroy the nukes first and then have your mutant friend do it in a different way cut out the middle person and just use the nukes, that, like, when yeah, those I, nukes I th- like when those nukes first started launching at first I was like oh god oh god he's gonna like you know start a nuclear holocaust and then suddenly it's like or he's removing them from the game board okay or we do that
0: yeah i think that i, I mean I, I and why is he in cairo why is he staying in cairo at this point he can, he teleports all over the world and then goes back to cairo where he can do the least amount of damage like mm-hmm. should he not be like okay i'm in new york and now i'm in london and now i'm in tokyo and now you know what i mean like if he wants to tear stuff down like but i think the reason is is the film wants to be able to say we're doing this but we're not going to have insane amounts of casualties but there's yeah. you know which i
1: which would have meant the battle which would have given the final battle much more emotional weight yeah
0: i'm seeing lots of casualties though in what's happened. like he's ripping bridges apart mm-hmm. but i don't I, yeah. I i i i don't i can't even it's the the i don't know what he wants there's not a, you know, what's so great about Infinity War specifically is there's the McGovern. There's a thing. There's essentially a button. If Thanos gets to the button, everybody loses, mm-hmm. and if the heroes get to the button, everybody wins. Yeah. And there's a clear like here's what you need to stop him from doing or here's what you need to go get done in order like in order to the only way to to beat apocalypse is we must completely destroy him by unleashing enough power on him that destroys him. There's mm-hmm. no there's no goal for the heroes and there's no goal for the villain. Nothing is is clearly spelled out. Yeah. In any way, you know it was X future, Men Future Past. We have to stop the assassination. We do that, we mm-hmm. win. Here's how you know you've won. You stopped the assassination. Yeah, you know what? Like, like you. that's storytelling is you. You go. You go, here's here's how you. And I yes, there can be storytelling where you just have to beat the bad guy, but. There's no, there's no destination you're trying to get to. There's just like we're gonna go fight him. <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah, that's the whole plan. There was uh, no, there's no Death Star to blow up. There's no, there's nothing.
1: Yeah, it's it's very vague. The, there was one aspect of the film that sort of that made me sort of cock my head and go, huh. That I'd uh, that I'd like to discuss, um, which was uh, Magneto's destruction of Auschwitz, uh, and the reason why is because in all of the other films, them incorporating the Holocaust into the storyline made perfect sense. There was nothing that felt weird about it at all. Um, especially in First Class, I I loved what they did with it. I you know the X Men has always been founded on. Taking, I mean, Magneto was always based on taking this real world tragedy and spinning it into this mythological, you know, mythological consequence that is Magneto. And for some reason, in this film, as soon as you know the the helicopter camera, you know, showed, uh, you know, showed Auschwitz and you know the and the name flashed on the screen, there was something about it that felt somehow crass to me, and yeah. a little no, bit exploitative. This- it felt exp- for the first time referencing the Holocaust felt exploited. Uh,
0: I will say that I've I've always been a I mean not always but in the last ten years I've been a little more sensitive to the fact that maybe these movies shouldn't be using the Holocaust to motivate the Magnet Man.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you put it that way. That's an extremely valid point.
0: Like it's it's is it's, it's like the ultimate fridging. It's like yes, you are using this just maybe deserves a little more respect than, you know, the Holocaust was a place where they yanked children away and let them bend gates. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like, like it's no, it's, it's watch Schindler's list. <laughs> Try watching Schindler's list. And then going back to X-Men, the first one, you're still like, uh, but you're willing to deal with it. This. Yeah. The fact that you have Rita Repulsa standing there with him in the middle, like, like, and he's just pulling the metal out and, and they're using Auschwitz as the background, of mm-hmm. how you can get him yeah, to which, pull the metal out of the ground. That's the which only then immediately there starts is to make
1: him... you know. And then my mind starts going. It's just like, was this film? You know, was this filmed on location? Were any of these things filmed on location? I sure as hell hope not, um, because that would yeah. be adding tremendous even more insult to injury.
0: Yeah, it's it's ugh, it's it's that is a is this a, it's a bad choice. I almost it, said it unforgivable, opens, but it's not. Quite it opens. A, a, a it opens. A, you know,
1: something of a can of worms, as well as an interesting discussion. To which you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer necessarily but it opens an interesting discussion into to what extent is it okay and in what situations is it all right to use a real world tragedy to fuel a fictional story like I don't come to think of it I don't know if they've done this they might someday what happens if we you know what if some what if a major hero or villains origin story is wrapped up in September 11th
0: Mm, I don't know I mean I feel like I think time has something to do with it Mm -hmm, I think you have to if, like i think you know in a hundred years maybe yeah but i i mean if it's you know how how cool it was that they could rescue people running down the stairs at the world trade center i don't know yeah there's I'm i I,
1: I i think you're right there and and to be completely honest i i don't i certainly don't think we're at that place yet there will be a time when we will be that is that is what the
0: we're shooting we're shooting awesome loose awesome looking action scenes about titanic now right in 1997 like it's titanic was far enough away that you could go okay look just look look how massive it is now that's you know james cameron can do it now we Mm. can you know that's you know we can we can have people going you know as i walk through the valley of the shadow of death because they know they're going to die and have jack go hey can you walk a little fast through that alley buddy yeah Yeah, that's that's (laughs) you know we we, we can we can get there all right so um um let's uh let's talk really quickly much more quickly than we normally do about the characters. Um, James McAvoy is Xavier doing fine, but not as well as he's done in the past. Mm-hmm. Michael Fassbender.
1: Yeah. I mean, do you disagree? Uh, I, I, no, I agree. I agree with you on, uh, on McAvoy. Uh, Michael Fassbender, I think um, is doing, uh, he's doing great work with, he, he's, he's being given not stellar material and he's doing stellar things with it.
0: Um, I will say this. I will give him the, He's better than he was in the last movie. He's as good as he was in First Class. His performance when his wife and daughter die is... is Remarkable. It's remarkable. With I am really on it. It, it, it is it's, it is remarkable
1: to work with to me, which was to me the worst dialogue of the film. Um, but you know the you know the I mean, turning your face to the heavens and shouting to God, is this what you want me to be? Um, it's incredibly ham-handed, but he he delivered it with absolute conviction and passion.
0: Um, Jennifer Lawrence, I I am feeling her less and less. I'll be yeah. honest, I'm starting
1: to get the sense that she is. Yeah. And I hate that because I really like Jennifer Lawrence. There's just a profound likability to her. But no, I agree with you on that.
0: Especially when she's blue. Yes. i getting he say she doesn't want to be blue. <laughs> um, She should, you that's, know, you know that's whenever she point.
1: turns blue and I...
0: And he, I think the problem is, is she doesn't want to be blue, but every time she turns blue, it's sort of a look how much I want to be blue. Rebecca
1: Same. Romaine Stamos seemed one hundred percent at home in that look. Like it just sort of looked yeah. like who, to the degree that sometimes I see pictures of her and I think she she and it's not like she looked more attractive blue. It's just like no, she just looked more like her blue. Like she she fit that so well. Um, and for Jennifer Lawrence, you know, she looks the the quote unquote human look of Miss mystique in this film she looks 100 comfortable with but all the other times it kind of looks like she's doing a really good cosplay of mystique
0: yeah it's it's oscar isaac is um is terrible as apocalypse i'm sorry he's a good actor he made a choice which was a bad acting choice that he then committed to i admire his commitment to the choice But it was, you know, people make mistakes. He's not a bad actor, but this performance is, is, you know, there's a, you know, it's, he is there. You know, the moment in the second Matrix movie. When Lawrence Fishburne decides to go, Zion, hear yeah. me, and suddenly you like you, it, just that moment takes a crap on everything else that he does. It like mm-hmm. works retroactively into the first Matrix, and you're like, wow, that guy who's who's going telling you to take the the, the blue pill and the red pill somewhere in him has the Zion, hear me. Mm-hmm. It's in there somewhere,
1: and it's you know, it, it's it's not good. Um, oh, do we agree? Um, yeah, I, I, we're, we're along the same lines with that. I think it didn't bother me quite as much. To me, it was the being the deep-voiced, melodramatic, evil god villain. I thought he did a fine job with an utterly banal and predictable direction to take a character. Um, if you want to see a truly bad example of that kind of uh, character, uh, go watch the original Dungeons & Dragons film. Um, and watch not Jeremy Irons' character, but the other guy who I think was also the bad guy in Highlander: Endgame. Um, uh, oh yeah, the, the one who was just like who Terrible. always talked like yeah, like that Talks is like a really. Yeah, that's it exactly. That, to me, is a terrible example of someone doing terrible acting of the dark-voiced villain variety. I thought this was a perfectly middle-of-the-road version of dark-voiced villain, but but there was nothing interesting about that choice at all. Yeah. Um, Nicholas Holt as Beast, again,
0: I mean, what do you think? I, I mean, I, I have an opinion, but I want to hear your opinion first.
1: Transparently great. Like, there wasn't ever a moment that I... St- like, in none of these films would I have stopped to say, wow, I really like what he's doing, except for the fact that you sort of called attention to it. And now when I'm watching it, I'm like, yeah, you're right. He's just... He's in it in every scene. Yeah, I, I
0: agree. He's He is... Even when he's blue, I am. I am feeling everything that he's doing. Mm-hmm. He is um, really, really, very, very good. Um, and I am. I am. I just love that this beast um, is the heart of these
1: films. Again, someone else I pointed out before: Rose Byrne as Moira McTaggart. Great in this, and you. I was decidedly lukewarm on her in First Class. Really loved her in this.
0: Yeah, she's she's really good. She's into it. I feel like. I I don't understand why she's not a bigger star. She's really, really very, very good. Um, Ty Sheridan. You know, a lot of people don't like him. Um, And a lot of people didn't like him in Ready Player One. Um, A lot of people didn't like Ready Player One. I love Ready Player One. I love him in Ready Player One, and I think he's fine in this. He's not great. He was was Scott Summers. Yeah, yeah, he was fine. Yeah, I I mean, he thinks he he also did.
1: Scott Scott Summers to me has always been a character that I mean, Cyclops. Like the like Cyclops could be if you opened if you opened he's fine in a superhero dictionary. Uh, If you opened it to the phrase he's fine, Cyclops would be the picture.
0: I think there's a world where a really good actor could do something really interesting with Cyclops. Mm -hmm. There's a haunted nature to Cyclops, especially in recent years. Um, that I think you don't get. Um, I think that that Cyclops, if his the there's a version of Cyclops that could play slightly like the Hulk in the first Avengers movie, mm. where yeah, he's he, he's he's bland and friendly, and underneath the bland and friendliness, you get the sense that there is something really broken about him, mm-hmm. and the fact that he is an Omega level mutant, like his optics, glass, that, that his you know he could just level a city if he wanted to and he's always holding it in I think that is something that has never been explored I think that it needs to be and I don't want to say anything bad about the actors who played him because Mm I also think James Marsden is a a wonderfully talented actor actually and I said that when we did the movies if you watch uh, he doesn't do a super job as Cyclops but watch I defy you to watch Hop. And watch him pretty much on his own with an animated rabbit who was a teddy bo- tennis ball when he was shooting it, and how much you believe him in it. It's really good.
1: So, mm. um, Sophie Turner as Jean Grey. Um, so here's the thing with the uh, you know Sophie Turner. Turner, I can sort of take her leave. I'd I, like she always has a she has a quietness about her that can sometimes read as weak. Um, although I don't know how much of that is me sort of reading Sansa Stark into what she does. Um, the, the there is part of me to uh, especially in the films. Really, what is there to Jean Grey's character other than I have this demon inside of me that I'm afraid of? I mean, what what other what are what are her character quirks? Is she you know is she plucky is she you know is she wry does she like you know if, if you had to describe her character without using her powers or anything having to do with Phoenix how would you describe her
0: I mean I, I think that you have to ask which Jean Grey you're talking about and that's that's a thing mm-hmm. Um, if I'm describing Famke Jensen's Jean Grey um, I would say demure d- mm-hmm. d- demure and uh, a little bit wise um, yeah, flirtatious uh, v- v- flirtatious flirt- flirt- Um uh smart. You know, she's Dr. Jean Grey. And the the very first thing she's called is Dr. Jean Grey. She she's testifying, she's testifying before the Senate. Um, and then she has a, you know, and she's also a doctor, and she's, you know, incredibly attracted to Wolverine, but has a, a man who she loves, and she, you know, she's inherently good. But yes, the power is giving her a dark side. She's got all this stuff to her. Mm-hmm. what does sophie turner have she's a teenager mm-hmm. i guess she's sort of and so friendly. again it she's comes there
1: it, it, it so it sort of comes down to how much of this is the fault of the actress and how much of the fault is it's just like there's not much there for her to work with
0: yeah there's not a lot of there there as they mm-hmm. say yeah. um uh olivia munn is psylocke this is olivia munn
1: it's olivia munn we from all love the,
0: olivia munn from the daily show yeah <laughs> um uh terrible yeah not great
1: she's she's
0: awful now i don't like this iteration of psylocke even in the comics it is the most accurate costume from the comics that we've seen in the movies in Mm -hmm. that it's just her it's her costume from the comics they just put her in it like here just wear the costume from the comics you know you're you're very fit you look fine Mm -hmm. um but the fact that she's just like American, big problem. She's neither British nor Asian. Um, huh. And the two versions of Psylocke is she's Betsy Braddock. She's Captain Britain's sister who then gets re- remade by the Mandarin. And, and, and is then Asian after that. Um, but she's neither. She's just American. Uh, her powers are ill-defined. She, she looks sexy and, and takes cool poses mm-hmm. and is otherwise... Yeah, that was
1: especially the one where Apocalypse was like, I can unleash your true power. Now you have a slightly bigger energy sword.
0: I know. Have a lightsaber. You'll be <laughs> fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> yes, my angel with wings that shoot knives which is from the comics yeah. you get a but, but sword it... yeah <laughs> like yeah, I mean here here, here you' your, your for your, your horseman the apocalypse storm control the weather and 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 Xavier you're my most important the most powerful mind on earth. Magneto with the ability to tear cities down just hanging out in Cairo I guess and uh, you throw knives and you have a lightsaber.
1: Yeah, but at least with <laughs> Angel there was a very clear difference between uh what he could do as Angel and what he could do as Archangel. And even though what he could do as Archangel was nothing close to anything approaching omega level, it was still way more and still a huge power boost over you have these wings you can fly with but they're vulnerable and you can kind of sc- and you can scratch people with the two claws on them like there was a there was a noticeable power boost it was pretty small
0: here's the thing when you have and again this is always a problem when you're putting together super teams but like when you have a guy whose point is to bring together the strongest mutants on earth that's his point that's Mm -hmm. his entire purpose that is his stated overt purpose he's like you That's destroy true. everything you control the weather, but I need some people for the fight scenes
1: yeah the, yeah the that other two people. There, there, there's uh, in the in the Buffy the vampire slayer role playing game there are there are two kinds of players uh that you can play, one of them are the heroes, which have all kinds of you know powers and their attributes are way boosted. And the other is a white hat, which are, you know, way weaker. Uh, but that's sort of the point of that game is that the fun of it is trying to find good, interesting stories between uh, white hats and uh, white hats and heroes. Um, there are a lot of yeah. stories that work well with that interplay. Having a team that is, you're right, having a team that is specifically made up of the strongest mutants and having two of them be white hats for all intents and purposes is uh, yeah, that's not going to work.
0: Alright, so we've 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 torn it into one mm-hmm. um we've given the compliments where we could we've looked at the characters we've given you an extra super long episode of totally super and we come down to the big question on a scale of one to five terrible movies how would you rate x-men apocalypse
1: all right now here's the interesting thing on a scale from 1 to 5 terrible movies. This Fine, gets I a get, three,
0: get, okay.
1: This gets a 3.5 from me. What? Like after the second viewing. So again, this is my thing. A 3, a 3 is one where I walk out saying, "Well, I didn't waste my money on that." A 4 is where I walk out saying, "Hey, that was really good." And a 5 is where I walk out saying, "That was amazing." um this was and now before the second viewing i would have given it a 2.5 and i think it goes to what you were saying about expectations um because this has happened a couple times for me uh x3 to me was a lot less painful the second time through it was not good the second time through but it was a lot less painful because i knew what to expect going into this one knowing to expect that it would not move me in the way that the others did knowing that it would not carry the emotional weight of the others um there were scenes that I enjoyed I actually ended up really paying more attention to those scenes in the school and enjoying them finding the good performances and because there were a number of good performances and a good number of good dialogue lines that were turned in um and at the end of the day I need to acknowledge the fact that last night at you know 1230 at night while I'm watching it and the the music and uh, and Charles Xavier says Gene you need to unleash your power and the music starts swelling and she starts walking towards the towards the edge of the you know the ruined balcony and then starts walking out onto just thin air without even noticing it. Um, I got a little bit of chills and the music swelled and I noticed a couple like sort of wet and I noticed a bit of wetness in my eyes at it. I have to acknowledge that the second time through this film it it had that impact on me in that moment. There is no way that this film gets a four from me. But you know what? Sure, I'll, I'll give it a 3.5.
0: Well, I'm not going to besmirch you things that you like Of course, you have every right. (laughs) However, let us start at the 3.5 that you describe. And let us say that if we start there, if we start slightly above a a film where you go well I didn't waste my money and we go okay it gives you a little bit more than that because it's X-Men and we like X-Men and it's 80s X-Men it's the team that we wanted and it gave us stuff that we like and the you know the the battles are relatively good and I love seeing Nightcrawler and the scene at the mall is okay with the exception of something I'm about to mention Um, and the Quicksilver scene not as good as the last one but still kind of fun to watch him do it that was a neat little puzzle and the Phoenix moment at the end sure it's it's neat and even when Magneto turns around and makes a x out of the girders cool <laughs> fine 3.5 however i'm gonna back it up to a three first okay. because they have michael fassbender clearly in front of a green screen with his hands outstretched for like 20 minutes and that, every time they cut to him the time the i'm film. like that poor man i'm like that poor man just with his hands out going ah the whole time It bums me out. I'm also going to pull it back to a three because apocalypse looks terrible. He acts terrible. It's a movie called apocalypse. He's the biggest face on the poster. The movie is about him. And even it being, if it's going to be about him, the fact that he is so poorly realized his, uh, what he's doing is so poorly defined. What he wants is so poorly defined. His introduction is terrible. And every time they cut to him, I'm bummed out. As opposed to when they get to cut to Thanos, I love it. They cut to Loki, I love it. If you're going to call it X Men Apocalypse, then Apocalypse has to work, and Apocalypse doesn't. That's fair. Nothing about nothing about Apocalypse works. That pulls it to a three, maybe even a two point seven five. But I'm giving this movie a two point five for one line. One line. When they walk out of Return of the Jedi. And they're having the discussion about how, (laughs) yeah, but you blow it with the third one. You know what? F you. F you. Eat a bag of D's. All right? And here's why. That movie is Brian Singer. That line is Brian Singer coming back after having skipped X3 and doing the third part of this trilogy instead where he's like, ah, the third one sucked. He didn't do the third one. That point of that line is to go... Oh, I didn't do the third one. I know you guys hated. Uh, I know you guys hated the Last Stand. Here's me coming back to do a third one. Right? That's what that line was. And guess what? This movie is worse than the Last Stand. Whoa! It is whoa. worse. It is That's, laughable. That is point. that is because shocking coming from you.
1: For all the last. I'm not even disagreeing with you. I just the le- I, I was not expecting that because the level. Of- this is
0: this is this line is the I'm the juggernaut bitch of this movie. If your because hatred
1: for wh- X three, if your hatred for X Men Last Stand could could take physical form, it would level a small city. I know this about you, and so just and again, I, here's not disagreeing. So you are going hate, on record I may now, hate so. the Last Stand.
0: <laughs> I may hate the Last Stand. It does a lot of things that I don't like. But there's nothing in The Last Stand, minus the juggernaut bitch, that is just embarrassing. And Apocalypse is embarrassing. The character of Apocalypse is embarrassing. And Fastbender in front of the green screen with his hands out is embarrassing. And the fact that you come out there with that dick move to go, and look how great we are. Ha 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 makes me make, makes me nauseated um that moment and from that moment on i'm like oh you guys you guys are just like being jerks about it you think you're you're the big tough football player who with the glass jaw that needs to not knock, get knocked down a peg stop and i and i think that I, nothing that happens next week spoiler alert is going to make me change what i'm about to say stop at days of future past it's a great coda to the x-men series it brings you everything you wanted from both versions stop there don't go any further do not watch this film 2.5 because the film is competently made and has some stuff that i like but if you stop there you can go okay that's a that's a nice little five five film series i think that's a good place to stop that's my, that's my take, 2.5. No, that's fair. Um, and really, two, but it has some cool stuff that I like. So that's, that's it. Anyway, uh, that is uh, X-Men Apocalypse. Next time, uh, we get to watch the death of the X-Men franchise as uh, Phoenix goes dark. But for now, my name is Justin. And
1: my name is Arthur. And hey there, true believers. Stay stupid.
0: Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to GeeksRadio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not safe for work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Enlight Entertainment.